Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I invite you this morning to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. This is one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. And uh, I was reminded, I was thinking of a song this last week. Uh, What the world needs now is... It's the only thing. Well, some of you got the first part and kind of you know, botched the second part, but whatever. Yeah, Bert, Bert Bacharach, everybody. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Well, Paul's gonna say the same thing to the church at Corinth. What y'all need right now is love, sweet love, because apparently it may have been lacking a little bit in the church. How many of you married folks had the, uh, this uh, chapter read at your wedding? Can I see your hands out there? Okay, that's actually quite a lot of you. I love this quote by Dr. Seuss, and you know that it's reliable because he's a doctor. He, he said, you know, you know you're in love when you can't fall asleep because reality is finally better than your dreams. Isn't that great? But to get a deeper wisdom into the inside of the nature of true love, I did what I thought was best, and so I started scouring social media And I ran into this one guy who said, most women desire someone who can make them laugh and also feel safe. Is that true, ladies? So the way that he ended it was, so basically women are looking for a clown ninja. (laughs) Well, here's the thing, people. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having this chapter read at your wedding. That's perfectly fine. It applies. I mean, you would hope that love would be a part of your marriage. This was actually written to a church, and it was talking about in the context of how it is that they used the spiritual gifts that the good Lord had given them, and they were kind of blowing it up. You're messing it up. That's what we're going to talk about today. Think about it. Paul's already said, everybody has a spiritual gift. He said that in chapter 12. But then he asked this question, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all possess the gift of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the point is, the answer is... No, not everybody has everything. We got all different kinds. And in fact, we need all kinds. That's the point of the 12th chapter. We need this. God has portioned you with spiritual gifts for good use, as he says in the 12th chapter, for the common good. That's why he gave it to you. So put it to good work. But imagine that you have this spiritual gift and then you feel like you're great because you've got it. It was a gift to you. God gave it to you. But imagine you just kind of blow yourself up because you're magnifying the spiritual gift that you have, maybe at the detriment of other brothers and sisters in the faith. Does that look like love to you? Because it doesn't to Paul. And that's why he's writing this part. So here's what Paul says in chapter 13, verse one. He says, uh, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain what? Nothing. This is the first thing that he wants you really to set into your soul. He was saying it to them. He's saying it to us today. We can do the right thing in the wrong way. We can do the right thing in the wrong way. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive. You can completely miss it. Watch what he talks about. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, I'll talk about that a little bit later. If I have great prophetic power, 
This basically means if I can perceive what the Holy Spirit wants in a situation and I can speak it to the common good, somebody that has that kind of depth to them, even if I do that, even if I understand mysteries and knowledge, these are people that are incredibly gifted by God to understand the deeper things of God and then to teach us the deeper things of God so that we know God better. I can do all of that and if I don't have love, if I have all faith and I can move a mountain, a little faith, like a mustard seed, can move a mountain. These people can see what God wants. They can have a deep faith in him to bring it about. We need people like that. If I don't have love, if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying love in all of this is everything. Bert Bacharach had it right. What the world needs now is more of this. What were the two commandments of Jesus? Love God, love others. Everything else, everything else flows from that. So why do we do things for reasons other than love? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a shot this morning. I'm just gonna give you a couple things to think about. Uh, here's one reason, is because we love, crave, we love and we crave affirmation and praise. Maybe that's our motive sometimes. This is when we wanna impress people so that they'll build us up. Notice the motive. It's not really about their good. All the spiritual gifts, he said in chapter 12, are for the common what? Good. But it's not about that. It's really not about seeing your good works so that they'll know the goodness of God. It's not even about that. It's giving to get. Nothing wrong with being encouraged by people when you do something good. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But encouragement is when someone expresses appreciation for you, but you weren't doing it for that. We're missing the boat. We're missing the mark. That's one possibility. This might be what was up in Corinth. Look at me, right? It becomes a show. Here's another option. Uh, doing something for God to get something from God. Doing something for God to get something from God. Notice the motive there isn't love. It's to get something. J.D. Greer said it like this. That was great. So there are a lot of people who serve God devotedly because he's useful as a means to something that we want, like a good marriage or heaven or prosperity. And you might want those things bad enough that you discipline yourself to live like a great Christian but your devotion has nothing to do with love for God. It's the love for these things that are driving you. God is simply a means to those end. Missing the mark. This is Paul's point. We can do the right thing the wrong way, but we can also do the right thing the right way. We can also do the right thing the right way. Done the wrong way, he said, we're a noise. We're a noisy symbol. Well, why would he say something like that? Remember where he was writing. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, they had the belief in all of these other gods and one of the practices is they would go into the temple is they would actually bang on cymbals and gongs because they believed that it would get God's attention. God is now gonna pay attention to me. We can do the exact same thing when our motive is doing something so that God would basically simply reward us for it rather than doing something because God has loved us tremendously. You see the difference between the two? I'm gonna do something to get God's attention here. Paul's like, we're no better. We're no better when our motive is like that. Instead, the loving things that we should do should flow from the loving heart that we have. It should just flow from us. Look at how Paul describes what love is. Let's think about it. Love is patient. Love is patient. How does love act? Love is patient. The, the Greek word, by the way, it means long anger. And it doesn't mean you're angry long. <laughs> It means that you take a long time to get angry. We have a figure of speech for this. You have a long fuse. 
You're slow to anger. You can put up with a lot and not get angry. You're not having this desire to strike back at people. It's about how we actually treat people. We can be wronged and our first thing isn't to retaliate. Paul says that is an expression of love. That is love put in action. Did you ever notice that a lot of times when we're loving people, it isn't simply because they're deserving it in the moment? And did you know that most of the time when God is giving his deepest expression of love to you, it isn't because you deserved it? That's the way love works. We make choices in moments looking at people and saying, they're not necessarily deserving of this right now, but neither was I. Neither was I. Let me give an illustration. No one treated Abraham Lincoln with more contempt than Edwin Stanton. He publicly called him names like, and I'm quoting here, a low cunning clown and nicknamed him the original gorilla. Politics, right? It wasn't any different back then. Here, here was the thing. Lincoln actually said nothing in response. He said nothing back to him. And later, just so you know, people of history, Lincoln made Stanton his war minister. And the reason that he did it, because he was he's like, this guy has publicly said horrible things about you. He goes, yeah, but he's the best man for the job. That was why he did it. I want you to fast forward a little bit later. Lincoln has been assassinated, has been shot. Stanton is in the room as he was dying, and it's reported that he said this, there lies the greatest ruler of men that the world has ever seen. What was the difference? And the answer was, he had shown him an expression of love that won him over. Love has that kind of power. He didn't try to retaliate based on what somebody had said very publicly against him. Instead, he just held it back in. Love is patient. Second, love is kind. How does it act? It's gonna be kind. A kind person is someone who does good for other people. It is practical. It is in action. You're benevolent. You want to do good for other folks. A kind person always thinks of others, how they feel, what they need, how they can help. If you don't look at it, it's interesting. The Greek word for kindness here comes from a root word that means useful. You're actually useful. That's what love looks like. Love, it doesn't envy or boast. Seen much of that lately? It doesn't envy or boast. Uh, envy, oh man, you think about that. Gore Vidal, the, the writer, said, whenever a friend succeeds, a little something in me dies. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, you simply cannot celebrate the successes of other people because you want a lot of successes. We could be envious about people's stuff, we could be envious about people's relationships. We could be envious about people's situations. I wanna clear something up this morning because we typically can botch this a little bit. There is a difference between jealousy and envy. There is a difference between jealousy and envy. Andrew Wilson put it like this. He said, the difference is stated simply. Jealousy is the desire to keep for yourself what rightly belongs to you. Did you ever notice in scripture it says, I, God, am a jealous God. He is rightly trying to hold on to what belongs to him. That's jealousy. Envy is the desire to have for yourself what rightly belongs to another. That's a big difference, right? So envy, Wilson said, is when a husband wants to sleep, or excuse me, envy is when a husband wants to sleep with somebody else's wife. Jealousy is when he doesn't want his wife to sleep with somebody else's husband. And there's a big difference between the two. Love doesn't act like that. It's not only not, is it not envious, it isn't boastful. Boasting is when we try to make other people envious of us. 
We try to draw out something that is characteristically sinful in somebody else. Notice that when you're boasting, that's not others-centered, that's you-centered. That's me-centered. And that's not what love looks like. And the reason is, is because he points it out, is because love isn't arrogant. Love is not arrogant or proud. The word, the word proud, it's a fun word in the Greek. Uh, it actually comes from a Greek word that means a bellows. Did that help you a little bit? I thought it would. You know, of course, the bellows. You might wonder what bellows are. Basically, back then, that was a device that pumped air up. That's what it was. And so he gives this idea here. He says, you're not gonna be puffed up. You're not gonna expand yourself. It came to mean pride, to be puffed up with self-importance. And he goes, yeah, but that's just not what love is. Love doesn't act like that. There is a famous writer named Dick Shapp. He's covered baseball for a long time. And this goes back to 1978 or 1979. He was talking about meeting with Reggie Jackson and Reggie Jackson had been suspended. This is when he played for the Yankees. <laughs> I know. It's when he had played for the Yankees. All the Yankee fans out there. And he had been suspended by the manager for five games. And so he was reinstated to the team. The reason he had been suspended is because he had been in violation of the manager's orders for the team. And so he had been reinstated to the team. But before he had, uh, the reporters were trying to get to him. He was a big deal, right? Back in the day. He was a big deal. And so he's been reinstated to the team. And so they're trying to get to him to talk about what was it like being suspended for five games and all that kind of thing. And um, a lot of the, the reporters had kind of fallen to the side, but Dick Shapp said, you know, I stuck around for this and I kind of kept my, my camera crew around. So I was like, we're gonna, we're gonna get this conversation with, with Reggie. And here's what he said. He said, I asked him uh, what he thought was uppermost in his mind during his suspension. And he said, I, he considered the question for several seconds and then he looked straight into the camera and he said, the magnitude of me. That's a moment. Probably not Reggie Jackson's best moment, to be fair. The reason I give this example is because that's not what love looks like. It's not the kind of thing that love would say. It isn't prideful. It isn't boastful. It also isn't rude. Love isn't ill-mannered. It doesn't act unbecomingly or dishonorably, meaning to dishonor other people. When you think of the, the opposite of rudeness, you would think of probably courtesy. You would think of showing people respect. And sometimes it's difficult because you're making the choice to do it when the person isn't necessarily acting at their best. But you still choose to show them honor. And you still choose to show them respect. To be rude is to be intentionally discourteous, disrespectful, or inconsiderate. Love just doesn't believe that way. Love doesn't act that way. It will do what is best for others. It thinks of the other first. The members of the Corinthian church, probably struggling with this one, my friends. Uh, and here's why. You probably saw it before. You had the rich people that were gathering in homes because that's where they worshiped. And they were getting there and they were eating all the food. They were drinking all the wine. Well, the poor folks had to work. They had to work. And so by the time they were coming in, because they worshiped in homes with each other, by the time the, the poor folk were coming in, the rich had already eaten everything and had the best, best things to drink. And then they would basically just segregate them out. And Paul goes, yeah, that is not the way that a church is supposed to work. That ain't it. That was inconsiderate of the way that you would look at a brother or sister in Christ. And that's not what love is. You get the idea. Even at their church meetings, they'd become chaotic. 
you know, you would have somebody that's teaching and somebody would literally jump up and start talking over them. And Paul's like, you need to sit down and you need to be quiet. Stop it. You're creating chaos in the church. And God is a God of order. You need to quit. They were showing dishonor. They're showing disrespect. In other words, they weren't showing love. So Paul writes in this, he's like, share your food, take turns, speak one at a time. This sounds like kindergarten. Mrs. Crump is coming back over me right now. And Paul's having to say this to the church. Speak one at a time. Love doesn't act like that. You know what else love doesn't do? Love doesn't insist on its own way. I, I don't know that I have to actually say something about that this morning, except this. How often do you? How often do you? I wanna give you uh, something that I saw this week that I thought was just perfect for this. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a while ago, it's mine. If I say it's mine, it's mine. If it looks like mine, if I say I saw it first, y'all are doing great. Uh, If you're having fun with it, it's mine. If you lay down your toy, if it's broken, it's yours. That pretty well captures the moment for Paul, right? Love doesn't act like that. Love also isn't irritable. I I was struggling that with this morning, just trying to wake up. Probably some of you felt the same way. It isn't irritable. There was a pastor named Ed Roll. He was in Tennessee. He wrote an article, this is some years ago, but he wrote an article called, Why Am I Angrier Than I Used To Be? I think that just describes people in general right now. Everybody's just angry all the time. He was writing it about himself. Let me share with you something he said. He said this, during a recent baptism, I paraphrased a passage of scripture to fit the situation. If anyone is in Christ, he or she, he said, I was baptizing a young woman, uh, is a new creature in Christ. All right, y'all with him so far? So the next morning, I was going uh, through the cards we use for prayer requests. Suddenly, one of them nailed me by name for, quote, daring to change the infallible, unchangeable word of God. When the Bible says he, it means he. So to change it to fit your rampant feminist agenda is the worst kind of heresy. He was just talking to a girl he was baptizing, right? Welcome to Monday morning, by the way. Most days, hear what he said. He said, most days, I would have just tossed it in the trash with the hope with the hope that he buy a better laxative. All right, I'm just reading it to you now. (laughs) Great article, by the way. But that particular Monday, that note really scorched me. I wasted an hour writing a scathing reply, even though the note was unsigned, and you know that, right? Here I have a word for you, no signature. We've since, by the way, he said, we've since adopted the policy of trashing unsigned notes without reading them. This dude was writing one. That's awesome. Okay. He said, so at lunch, I told a buddy about it. And he asked, well, why did that make you so angry? He said, I don't know. I'm so sick. I'm just quoting here. He said, I'm so sick of stupid people and their stupid comments and their stupid inability to rejoice that someone made a public declaration of faith. I'd like to show him a little heresy right across the jaw. (laughs) Are y'all enjoying this so far? And his friend said this, "Eh, you got a little anger problem there. And he said, no, I don't. And it ticks me off that you would suggest it. (laughs) That article kills me. Here's the point. Why do I give that example? 
is because we're a little bit more like this past, this past. I don't do this stuff. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're a little bit more like him than we would want to admit. We all get there, don't we? But we have a word for that. The word isn't love. That's not what it is. There's a German philosopher named Arthur Schopenhauer, and uh, he compared the human race to a bunch of porcupines huddling together on a cold winter's night. Here's what he said. The colder it gets outside, the more we huddle together for the warmth. That sounds good so far, right? But the closer we get to one another, the more we hurt one another with our quills. And in the lonely night of Earth's winter, eventually we begin to drift apart and wander out on our own, and we freeze to death in our loneliness. The reason that I give you that example is because you do have options here, and it's this. Love is a better way. Love is just a better way. Love is also not resentful. Here's another way of looking at it. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. Uh, it doesn't keep the score of other people's mistakes. You can see why this passage would be shared, for example, at a wedding, right? I mean, if a husband and a wife really and truly fully embodied all of this, it would be truly transformative in a marriage, wouldn't it? It would. But what's true of a marriage is also true of every single relationship that you've got. It would truly transform all of them. Remember the time when Peter asked Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? You remember that? Up to seven times. By the way, the Jewish practice was to forgive three times. So Peter like ups the bar a little bit. And he goes, how about seven? And Jesus is like, how about 490? <laughs> right? And Peter's like, what? I mean, how would I keep count? And the point was, you don't. Love doesn't keep the score. Love doesn't keep the score. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. It cares enough to say something to someone when you see that they're making choices that are harmful. Love will speak up for their good. And that's hard to do. You know what else is hard to do? When someone speaks up in love because you're making harmful choices, it's also hard to receive it. But love will receive it. Love will speak it, and love will receive it. Why? Because love rejoices in the truth. Both ways. What is spoken and what is received. It won't rejoice in evil. Love has no desire for someone to literally be held down by evil in their life. You want something that is good for them. And because love wants what's best for them, it will rejoice when righteousness wins out. It will celebrate it. That's what love looks like. Notice the way that Paul said it. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. That's what love actually looks like. Have you thought about what hope is? Hope is the expectation of good. It's the expectation of good. It looks to the future and it expects something that is bright and positive and good that God is going to do. To Jesus, no one was hopeless. To Jesus, nobody was hopeless. He changed people. Think about this. Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, hated by his Jewish neighbors as a traitor and a cheat, probably because he was a traitor and a cheat, but they hated him. When Jesus invited him to his house for lunch, everyone in Jericho was offended that he would do something like that. As far as they were concerned, the guy was hopeless. Jesus saw it different. He walked away changed. That's what hope can do. Bartimaeus, that was a blind man. Physically, his condition was hopeless. There was no cure for his blindness. Socially, he's at the bottom of the ladder. No hope of moving up. He meets Jesus. He shows him grace. He is a new man, healed and whole. 
We don't know his name, but there's a guy named the Gerizim Demoniac. <laughs> Imagine being known for that. That's how you're known. This was a guy that literally lived out in the wilderness, would claw himself, would be screeching and screaming, running around naked. This just isn't his best day. He encounters Christ. He comes back into the village. The people look at him, and he's sitting there at peace. They're like, what happened to this guy? And the answer is Jesus changed him. That's what hope can do. That's what love can do. Let me give you an example, something I'm thinking. There's a story that's talking about a man that uh, got to heaven. He runs into Peter, you know, because Peter's always the one that's checking people at the gates, right? So he runs into Peter, and uh, he's like, well, what do I have to do to get in? He says, well, uh, you need to spell a word. And he's like, okay, well, what word is it? He said, it's, it's love. And he goes, L-O-V-E. He goes, good, come on in. And so he comes in. Well, a little bit of time passes, and he walks up to the gentleman, and he says, hey, could you hold down the gate for me a little bit? Uh, you know, the Lord has asked me to step over here and to help out, and so if you could mind the gate, that'd be great. And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. So he's there at the gate, and after like 10 minutes, he looks, and his wife shows up. He's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? And she said, yeah, it's, I was in a horrible accident. What do I need to do to get in? And he goes, you just need to spell a word. Czechoslovakia. <laughs> I, I give you that example. I would never do that to Wendy. I would have her spell Maharshalal Hashbaz. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. This is not what love looks like, is it? How do we know what love looks like? Scripture tells you. In 1 John 3, 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. That's what love looks like. How do we know what love is? We see it in 1 John 4, 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what love looks like. That is the kind of thing that love does when it's looking at a person in a situation and says, I can actually change this for them if they will allow me not because they're deserving. That's what love does. So how do we look? If you wanna know what love really is, what scripture is telling you is you look to the cross and then you look to your own life and say, does my life fit the cross? That's when you know that you're loving people the way that Jesus loved people. On the cross, he did what was best for us, no matter the cost. He did it for us. It cost him his life and I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't think that Jesus had a lot of romantic feelings when he was hanging on the cross. I think he was hurting. I think he was hurting. But this is what love does. He was doing what was best for us. He met us at our point of greatest need. That's what love is. And love is doing what is best for others, no matter what it costs you. That's the challenge to the church from 1 Corinthians 13. A beautiful passage of scripture that would transform literally everything if we just said, that's the way I'm gonna live. Because it's the way that Christ lived for us. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.